Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldana. It's been a wild freedom Hi, everyone. We are back. Oh, my goodness. With season four of the Free Birth Society podcast. Four years? My God. (laughs) This is so exciting. It's crazy. It's hard for me to even wrap my head around it. I'm Emily Saldea. And wow, just what a year. I do want to send my love out to each and every one of you with a reminder that now is the time to shed ourselves of the bullshit, to set those boundaries, purify that toxicity, increase that self-care, and stand for the light. We have to make it mean that, right? This year is such a deep invitation for all of us to fully embody our roles as powerful women in our communities, matriarchal leaders in our families, and to stand together for and with women and families and ourselves. I know that we're all feeling the polarization, the intensity, but remember your sisters are out there. We are all here doing the good work and we have to stay connected. So with that, there's a lot going on over here at Free Birth Society per usual. We have a lot of amazing new courses in the pipeline uh, for later this year, but most excitingly, enrollment is open for the second round of our incredible program, the Radical Birth Keeper School. So if you have the call to become an authentic midwife and step up in your community, join us. We want you with us. I'm so proud of what we've done here and it will sell out. So get your, get your space over at RadicalBirthKeeperSchool.com. Ah, let's see what else. My family and I are moving to the Southeast. We have found a really special place that can be a home to not only us, but to the next iteration of the vision of what Free Birth Society is and and what it can be. So I want you to picture acreage, yurts, deep spring water, woods, food forests, dark starry nights, hot tubs and pools and hiking and chickens and dancing and singing and fires all coming together with women. Mm, I can't wait. And it's really happening. I'm quite thrilled. So more on that later. I um, also have been feeling our next baby pretty strongly in our household. I'm noticing that he's with me all the time. Um, So that really has the beginning tingles of all the excitement that comes with preparing to call in new life uh, into my body, into my heart, my home, my family. (sighs) Really excited to, yeah, start to open that up and feel that again and welcome, welcome our next baby in next year sometime. So 
With that, I'm excited to introduce to you the first guest of season four, my amazing friend Jess from Arizona, who chose a free birth after her first birth resulted in a fear-mongering C-section due to breech presentation. Tired of being pathologized in the system, Jess began to feel the presence of her daughter, and she turned towards trust, had a wild pregnancy, and roared her baby into the world. Actually, when I was 14, I had this intense awakening to motherhood. And I was at this church activity and they did this activity where we had to stand behind a tree and then it was late at night. Sounds kind of weird, but whatever. We stood behind a tree and then, and then one of the leaders stood behind on the other side of the tree and she asked you questions as if she were your daughter. Hmm. And just asking how much you love her and how you'll take care of her and what kind of life you're going to have. And it just got me, it just like made me plunge into it all. And I just started feeling my children so deeply. Wow. And I started studying all of this stuff. I started studying child development and got way into all these things. What was funny is that I, I was taking a child development class. And of course, they're like, you have to go to the hospital. And um, so I was planning how I was going to have a natural childbirth and fight everybody in the hospital. Mm. And um, <laughs> so that was, that was what I was thinking. As I got older, I started to research more about home birth. I had an aunt that had several home births um, that I had actually attended, but I was just a kid and didn't know what I was missing. So I was just in the living room watching movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no idea what I was missing. Oh my god, that's so cute. <laughs> Miracle life's happening next door, but <laughs> I know. It's fine. I'll just be in here. Sounds sounds boring anyway. But I ended up watching, of course, the business of being born, which like every, you know, home birther watches at first, and it, you know, deifies midwives way too much, mm-hmm. which was kind of my problem <laughs> that carried into my first birth. So mm-hmm. um, a couple of years after I had watched that and started researching home birth, I you know, met my husband. We fell in love very quickly, got married very quickly. <laughs> and I told him, I was like, well, I'm going to have a home birth. And he's like, okay, cool. That makes sense. And he looked up some statistics, was super supportive. I have endometriosis. And a lot of my aunts that have had it they had trouble with infertility. So I just thought, oh, that's going to be my story. Like Mm. I'm going to be infertile and then, you know, I'm going to get myself more healthy. I'm going to figure it out. And within a few years, I'll be able to get pregnant. So I just thought it was going to be a process for me. So I started the fertility awareness method and I got pregnant (laughs) just right off the bat. So I was like, oh, that was just a few months after we got married, we were not financially ready. Whoa. I just thought, I was like, well, I'll just start the process because I had felt my children once again right after we got married and they were kind of saying like, hey, we want, we're going to come soon, like get ready. And I was like, oh, this means get ready. They're going to come in a few years once I get fertile. <laughs> no, they were starting right away. Because you were already <laughs> fertile. Yeah, I was already yeah. fertile. I had no idea. So, um, gosh, just the story, the story of like the brokenness (laughs) of our bodies, you know, like the disconnection. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. Oh my goodness. I, yeah, I had no idea. I'm so glad that I was able to overcome that mm-hmm. and not like, cause I, cause I knew in my mind, I was like, I will get pregnant. Like I definitely will. It will be a process though. So I thought I was broken and mm-hmm. that I would heal, but it turns out that I was fertile. It was just and a I story. Was, yeah. Yeah. It was just a story I made totally. up in my brain, probably to, I don't know, just in case I was infertile. I wanted to make sure that I was protected or whatever I did. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was pregnant. My family was very freaked out by how fast I got pregnant. I was kind of freaked out too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I sought after a midwife very quickly. And all I did was, since you know every midwife is perfect and they're all the same, um, <laughs> I just looked up the midwives in my area. We were in Ohio at the time. And I just looked at some pictures and I was like, oh, that one looks nice. I'll call her. So I called her, didn't really interview her, but her and I did have a really great connection, which I love. That was, that was really nice. But yeah, I was just like, well, I'm going to choose you as my midwife. She's like, oh, you don't have any questions. I was like, no, you're a midwife. You're good. Mm. We're good. Mistake number one, of course. Um, So I... Yeah. So she's like, oh, I'm going to just need another, another midwife with me. I'm not officially licensed in Ohio. I'm licensed in another state. So I just need another midwife with me and I'm going to choose one, which was mistake number two, because this midwife I did not connect with at all. I just, I really didn't. And I was trying so hard and I was like, well, my midwife said that this midwife would work with me really well and she thought we'd get along. So we're going to have to get along. Mm -hmm. And we did, you know, but. Right. But the framing could have, should have been. So in order for me to do this within, you know, the, the licensure and in my comfort zone, I do need another midwife. Let's go through the couple I know and see who you land with and anyone you don't vibe with, no questions asked. I'll just try a different one out. You know what I mean? Like it could be, there's a win-win there that just doesn't get yeah. presented. No, it doesn't. And I've just seen that. I've seen that with, I mean, I, I interviewed some other midwives in this pregnancy. That's for later. But I mean, I've just seen that over and over again. It's like, oh, and I'll have another person with me. And it's like, okay. Right. Why am like, I interviewing like it's this you? It's faceless, <laughs> like irrelevant thing. When in fact, in many stories, it's the thing that sabotages the whole freaking birth. And that's basically what happened. Mm. <laughs> so. I asked her for, um, so I started meeting with them. I asked about ultrasound. I was like, can you send me some studies about that? Cause I don't know how I feel about it, but I want to understand. Um, she basically said it doesn't improve outcomes, but it would be really helpful, <laughs> you know, if we had those measurements and I was like, Oh, you know, I want to help them because mm. you know, it's not about me. <laughs> And then, of course, everyone's like asking me, are you going to find out the gender? Are you going to find out the gender? Because it's so important. And I'm never going to find it out if I don't find it out in the middle of my pregnancy, apparently. So we got the ultrasound. And once they got the results, found out we were having a boy. Very exciting. Yeah. So they got the results and they, which was, this was nice. They came to my home and they sat me down. And they're like, okay, we need to tell you something that we found in the ultrasound. So they found that there's a septate in my uterus. So I just, so we later found out it's just this little thing. I mean, it's not a big deal. 
No, it's not a big it's deal. a uterus. Yeah, um, they were kind it's of a very, making it's a, a variation deal. of normal that that like with exactly. everything could run with a different set of potential risks, but mm-hmm. everything comes with its own set of risks. <laughs> wow, sitting so, you down, so that's true. so intense. I know, I know. I was like, but I just I had this feeling like they were like, oh, you should like seek care, like secondary care, like seek for somebody else just in case or whatever. Well, not and somebody I just, else. A doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Not just we need a anybody. man on the case. <laughs> I know. What's up with that? Your uterus <sighs> is slightly different than other uteruses that slightly. we've seen here. It's just so crazy. It's just, it's so commit. The, it, the whole model is so committed to pathologizing. It's just Everything. It literally never ceases to amaze me. Just, yeah, there's just no, there's no normalcy allowed. It's really quite, it's quite <laughs> startling. Anyway, so they, so they found the thing, right? They found they the found thing now. Yeah. The thing so that I could get secondary care. Mm. And I was, I just, this was like my intuition was just like, this is going to be fine. This is not going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. So I just told them, I was like, it's going to be fine. And the second midwife, I'll call her midnight, midwife number two, the one that came when I didn't want her there. But um, she was saying that she actually, she's like, oh, I've actually been to, attended a birth where the woman had an arcuate uterus and everything was fine and the baby was head down. And I was like, well, then Me too. Yeah. let's just do this. Yeah. I was right. like, well, let's just do this then. I don't really need secondary care. And they're like, oh, okay. And <laughs> the other the other piece here that's interesting specifically with with that variation of normal of the uterus is mm-hmm. all the women who haven't had ultrasounds have no idea. Like I exactly. could have that same shape, you know. Yes. And oh my gosh, I'd be, I'm none the wiser, right? So it's only yeah. in yeah, it is like it's like you know the, obviously the age of like over information. Like what is that piece of information? do that that helped and obviously you're strong enough and a free thinker enough that it you were able to kind of filter through the the path they well, were trying to set you on right which is yeah. a highly medicalized experience yeah and it was just so funny because I just kept thinking I'm like it's not like women haven't had this before before midwives were exactly certified and before we had ultrasound and before all of this happened like this is anyway so I just yeah. felt super cool and normal about it. So we did talk about um, the fact that I was a black woman and some statistics around that. And honestly, I was kind of uneducated in the sense that I was like, I was like, oh, is it because of, you know, poverty? Sure. And because of, you know, you know, not being able, not being educated to advocate for themselves. And they were like, no. So like they understood like the general, like reality, you and know, were they all. white? Midwives? So one of my midwife, midwife number one is indigenous and midwife number two is white. Okay. But they were very worried about like the statistics that like I could fall into those statistics. Wait, I'm trying to track. Yeah, I'm trying to track with that. So yeah, you were choosing in home birth. So what was, what was the concern? Like what, why even bring it up? What, what, what do you think the angle was? Like, obviously it's important to understand on a, on a social level and, and as a birth activist and as a woman, yes, of course. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I'm, I'm like putting myself in their shoes of what's the, 
is it just to understand the system and and further further support home birth or what do you well, think what was weird is that so they said it's literally they said a lot of the statistics are there they didn't acknowledge the system as much which okay. was interesting they acknowledged just the overall stress of being a black woman in america okay is what affected the statistics so that was interesting i'm that just is like, interesting. all right i'll Try not to stress out. Right, right. I'll try to navigate the inherent racism of the world a little more calmly. Like, yeah, it's a little... And actually, it does bring up a good and interesting point that I, I don't actually know. Like, what are the, what are the midwifery attended home birth statistics of Black women in North America? Because I'm no only idea. familiar with... I mean, it still is an aspect of the system. They are still being medicalized and da 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 da. But it's mm-hmm. it's not it's different. Yeah, it's different. And so that yeah. is an interesting thing. I don't I don't actually know. So if anyone's listening, please email me and let me know if you happen to know because yeah. I'm only familiar with industrial statistics. Right. Yeah. They were so the things that they were bringing up with me was preterm labor. You know, having a really really small baby. Mm-hmm insufficient placenta. Mm. They were bringing up just all kinds of things that I just didn't. Anyway, I don't know. And then not being able to gain weight during pregnancy. So they were, I'm rather skinny. So they were operating on this weird assumption that I'm obsessed with being skinny. So they're like, you need to eat, you need to eat, you need to eat more, you need to eat more. So that was like a huge stress for me. I was like trying to gain weight my whole pregnancy, but well, and that's really interesting to see that so connection weird. between, yeah. and I'm glad you just said that because, right, this isn't, this isn't just about navigating systemic racism in the system. This is a, about navigating the stress, the inherent stress of experiencing racism if that is your experience, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and of course, that can cause physical repercussions or whatever, yeah, like, yeah. like the things that you just said. But at the same time, it's really interesting how it sounds like there's a connection of if they're perceiving you as that and that you're going to experience that, yes. then how that also creates a pretty gross loop of being yes. overly obsessed with your lack of weight gain because it's through this potential, and I'm not in their brain, so I don't really know this, but it sounds like there's a real connection there of <laughs> being you know, project, like seeing you through this lens. It's really interesting. You explained that so well. I'm always trying to explain how that weird loop is. Right. It's like, it's, I mean, and I'm maybe using this term incorrectly, but it's kind of like the white savior thing where it's like, oh, we need to save you from this, but it's like, it's not even applicable to me. Like they're assuming that it's applicable to me just because of the color of my skin. Right. And it actually wasn't like, I was, gaining weight, like once, you know, we got a little further in the pregnancy, they're like, oh, you're good. Right. But it's also strange to project that onto somebody in their own home in this really individualized way and almost expect it and then see you through that lens. It doesn't Mm -hmm. get the problem with that. You know, of course there's many problems, but it doesn't give you the opportunity to rewrite that story. It doesn't give you the opportunity to be a healthy powerful woman who who isn't experiencing that which is one of my greatest critiques around almost the what's the right word here like 
the hyper, almost obsessive discussion around race is Mm -hmm. it's like they need it to continue in order to fight against it. And so I'm hearing you say you weren't actually experiencing tremendous stress from a lot of either overt or, you know, subtle racism and you weren't having that experience, but you, you still were perceived as that. Yeah. It's really, that's quite the, quite the interesting little gaslighting loop there. Yes. Yeah. Very well explained. Yes. I don't, in the end, I, it truly focusing on that from them, them focusing on that did not serve me. Like I needed help in other ways because I'm not just the color of my skin. I'm an entire person who's so complex there's so many other things that I need for my midwives and them just being aware of and projecting right. statistics around my race onto mm. me. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. Okay. So, so there becomes this kind of obsession around, around your body or lack of weight gain, which sounds really stressful. Yeah. 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 So um, now they've pathologized you twice. Oh, it's going to happen more. Just you wait. Uh. <laughs> It's it's super fun. Yeah, so hang on to I'm, your seats, everybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm also a little bit anemic. So they were watching that and I was fine. My Most of my pregnancy with that, my levels were fine. So there was that. I had this intuition that my baby was going to be breech. So I started researching about that and I was like, oh, duh, I can just do this at home. This isn't a big deal at all. Like, my baby's going to be breached. It's going to be fine. And so I started trying to have conversations with them around that. And they were like trying to avoid that conversation at all costs. They're like, your baby's not going to be breached. I was like, I think, uh, I really think he is. And I really want to wow. be prepared. So what's your plan so if was my there, baby's breached? Yeah. Was there any transparency about like, oh, we'll fully abandon you and, and <laughs> bully you into a surgery? No, there was not much conversation around that. They said, the one thing that she said is, we know of a couple midwives that may attend a home birth for breech baby. So that's all they really said about it. And they're like, let's stop talking about it. It'll be fine. You're not going to have one. I'm like, no, I know it's fine because I know that if I have a breech baby, I can have a home birth. So it's fine. It really is. This isn't a fear that I have. This is something I want to be prepared for. That was all it was. Wow. But they thought that I was like, being scared. And they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I will say this just about the middle of the pregnancy really quickly. And then I need to move on because my pregnancy and birth was just so interesting with my first. I did start researching unassisted birth in the middle of my pregnancy and it resonated with me unassisted, you know, free birth. And it resonated with me deeply. Mm-hmm. And I did the classic, okay, I'm going to have a home birth with midwives and then I'm going to have the rest. Ugh, I did it. I did the thing. Uh. Um, <laughs> the rest all free. Let's just see how my body births. That's what I was. So, but you know, I had every reason in my, in my mind, I had every reason to believe that my midwives would not turn on me, but uh. I hadn't seen that in my pregnancy that I was already having to fight for my birth that I wanted. I didn't notice that at all until towards the very end when I started writing out my birth plan. And I was like, all right, I don't want monitoring. I don't want you to check me vaginally. I don't want um, anybody around me once the baby's born. I want you out of my field. Like I started saying things like that. And they're like, okay, that's a nice thought. We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. We have to do this, 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 and this in order to 
you know, fill out our paperwork. And I just, you know, I I didn't, I I just really, (laughs) I'm feeling like, I just really want to plug our school really quick because you are such an ideal like that, when women come to me and say, I don't, uh-huh. I don't want this, I don't want this, I just want you out of my field, I just want you kind of like managing the household and da 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 da, and I just do my thing. Like that is what a powerful, what a, what a beautiful thing for a woman, particularly a first time birthing woman who's overcoming quite a bit of story already. Like there's already so much in your story. Mm-hmm. Just what a, what a tender, vulnerable, and powerful thing to say to your attendants. And that that wasn't even remotely celebrated. I'm just going to plug our school and say, everyone who go needs for to it. go become a radical birth keeper and actually learn authentic midwifery because whether it's our school or somewhere else, please, because what you just said, Jess, is so profoundly beautiful and special. And it's like the, it's your, it's your, you know, it's the mother speaking through you. It's so beautiful. And I just, ah. That really you. sucks that it, that it, Thank I mean, you. it's an understatement, obviously, that, that, that wasn't even remotely Ugh. celebrated. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It really wasn't. And so I just, at that point, it was the end of my pregnancy. These were the only two other than my husband. My mom was, you know, in another state, so she couldn't really be there for me physically, but they were the only two physically that were there for me. The only community I had yeah. in terms of women that understood even a little bit, what birth is supposed to be like. And I had, you know, had lots of people pushing fears on me around home birth and me having to manage that already. And so now my midwives are like, we can't give you the birth that you want. And so I was like, so my people pleasing, you know, kicked in and I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, it's fine. Next time, Mm -hmm. next time I'll be, you know, ready. So came time, 36 weeks, Midwife number two palpated a breech baby. And I was like, I knew it. This is great. I'm having a breech baby. This is going to be fun. And they were like, oh, well, we know of a hospital that will do breech vaginal births. And we also know a couple of midwives, but we want you to go to a, you know, ultrasound place or whatever and confirm it. And I was like, well, I feel like the baby's probably breech, but they really wanted me to confirm it. So. Well, you we can't be in. trusted. Of course not. Yeah. Of course not. So we went in and to put it so simply, the ultrasound tech was just a jerk. She must Mm. have been having a really bad day. (laughs) She was just mean. She's like, all right, your baby's footling breach. And then she was like, and he also looks small. And then that's all she said. Whoa. So charming. Yeah. That's yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally charming. And what's so funny is after that, Okay. So after that, my, I was on the phone with one of my midwives and she said, Oh, the baby's small. That's fine. Midwife number one. She's like, that's fine. That's normal. Babies grow at different rates. It's okay. And she said, I have a midwife. She works with Amish women that refuse to go to the hospital. And I was like, sick, give me her number. I would love to, you know, pay her to come and attend. And the next morning, midwife number two called and said, your baby is way too small based on what I saw. Mm-hmm. Looks like he's going to be like three to four pounds. And that's not ideal 
for how far you are in your pregnancy. I want you to go to the hospital tomorrow. Can you meet us there? I was like, whoa, whoa, what? (laughs) And that just, that just really gave me, you know, like a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm like, I know my baby's fine. Like I just knew it. And what's funny is that I actually, so I was already following Free Birth Society and I commented on one of your photos and I just told my story. Like it was something about making a choice for you or something like that. And I commented and I was like, my midwives want me to go to the hospital. I have a breech baby that they think is small. And you commented back. So, so sweet. You were like, you do not have to go. Like <laughs> you were, you, you said all the right things. Um, mm. But I was at a stage in my life where I prioritized pleasing other people and making other people feel comfortable over myself. Mm. And so, um, and the irony should not be lost on uh, anyone that these midwives are stressing a black woman out and pushing her into the system. Like that is just oh my gosh. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So, oh, I need to try like you to be weren't quick. even just, you weren't even stressed until this happened like they right 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 when that happened like it just all just crumbled like I just crumbled I had a panic attack I was having I like had this vision while I was crying in my husband's arms just not knowing what to do of having a cesarean section like I just knew that was going to happen and them just taking my baby away and me just screaming and not being able to move and so I mean a lot happened a family member you know, heard about the fact that we were considering not going to the hospital and they called a doctor to come and visit us without telling us. Whoa. Just crazy, crazy. I just need to gloss over it because like <laughs> so much happened for goodness sake. Ugh. So annoying. Let's get to my power story. So um, <laughs> I went to the hospital, put on a smile, disassociated from my body. And I, I just, I knew I was I knew they were going to suggest a cesarean section. You know, it's a breech baby that's small. So I go in there, they do the ultrasound. I mean, this was a pretty, like, in terms of like niceness, like everybody in the hospital was, you know, nice, like vocally, like smiling, whatever. But the OBGYN doing the ultrasound, he was like, okay, I'm finding some things I don't like. I was like, oh, that's nice to hear. I don't like that language at all. But anyway, he said... Your baby looks like he's three to four pounds. He's breech. Your placenta is calcifying, and you have low amniotic fluid. Oh my god, I hate this story. And, and meanwhile, I'm like, you what know, what week are you again? Pretending, huh? What week are you at this point? Thirty-seven. Okay. So at that point, you know, I'm just smiling at him while internally having a panic attack mm. again. And so, of course, my baby's heart rate is dropping. Yeah. So they're just like, so I was like, all right, what do you suggest? He's like a C-section. And I just said, is there no other way? And he said, I don't think so, but what do you want? And I said, well, I would like to have a vaginal birth at home. (laughs) And he's like, oh, I don't think that's a good option. (laughs) Why did you ask me what I want? Anyway, so after, I mean, and this is, you know, another thing I might gloss over a little bit, but it is very important is the fact that I'm a black woman in a hospital where they can declare me an unfit mother very, very easily. So So, scary. I know. So I was just like, 
my midwives, you know, my midwives had threatened the day before I didn't say this, they had threatened, you know, to abandon me. If I didn't go to the hospital, they said that my baby could die. I'm in this just like incredibly like sticky situation. (laughs) I was thinking about our, my family who doesn't agree with a lot of my husband and I's choices saying like, if, you know, something did happen, it's all your fault. You should have done the cesarean. I'm having my midwives completely Mm. staying quiet, not saying anything. I kept turning to them for like any just shred of hope. And they're just staring at their phones and computers and whatever. And I, I was just completely disassociated from my body. And I knew that I could not deny the cesarean. Like I just knew it. Like I was completely trapped. So I was like, put a smile on once again. Great. Where's the freaking paperwork? (laughs) So signed the paperwork. They shaved me. They waxed me. Some people came in and out without saying a thing. Some people were nice and had conversations with me. There was was a couple nurses that were really interested in the fact that I wanted to do seeding after the cesarean to help my son's microbiome. Anyway, they were really impressed with how informed I was. Meanwhile, I'm being abused. I'm like, my information is not helping me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I ended up having an OBGYN who was very um, short with me and she didn't do anything I wanted her to, you know. And it was all within reason. It was all cesarean section, you know, stuff that you can ask for. And the only thing she said yes to was, oh, I like working with music because we asked if we could put on our playlist. She's like, I like working with music. I'm like, oh, good for you as long as you're comfortable. I, um, I got, you know, Working. The, I know. The gross word. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh, I'm going to be involved if you didn't know. Um, I got my, you know, spinal block, whatever it's called, right before I almost passed out because I was looking at, you know, the needle going into my arm. I almost passed out. The anesthesiologist scoffed and rolled his eyes. He was really upset that he couldn't do it right away. So I had to regain my consciousness and then he did it. Baby came out. I got to watch. They didn't think I wanted to watch. They kept doubting that. It was like, I want to watch. They took forever, took their time checking him. But I knew he was perfect the moment he came out. I was like, he's fine. Give him to me right now. And I was just crying and saying, give him to me now. And the nurse just had the audacity because she's in this working environment where she can't humanize people. And she had the audacity to just take her time and say, oh, I have to measure him. It's like, whoa, the kid is fine. He's crying. And like measurements matter. Yeah. And so he ended up being almost six pounds. The ultrasound was completely wrong, of course. And he was, he was perfect. He was just perfect. He was healthier than I was when all was said and done. He gained weight in the hospital. He nursed right away. Like he was just perfect. Mm. Anyway, so recovering from that experience was so, so weird because I let myself disassociate from the experience for a long time. I knew it wasn't ideal. I knew the abuse that happened, but And I knew that my experience mattered, but I disassociated it as if I were telling somebody else's story every time I would tell the story. And it wasn't actually until I got pregnant with my daughter that it actually hit me. Mm -hmm. So, um, so did you, 
sorry, did, did, in postpartum, like as you're processing, I'm hearing you say you knew like things were wrong. You knew abuse. You knew your son was fine. Now you had proof of it. Mm-hmm. And are you angry or are you just like survival? Just survival. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I think my husband and I started like talking about it more and getting angry about it more. Like maybe like after my son was a year old. Yeah. Like we just knew, we knew it was wrong, but like we just didn't even know how to talk about it. Right. And it's one of those fucked up things that so many families are put in this position of like, and like, yeah, it's fucked up. And like, what are we going to do about it? Now we have this newborn. Yeah. Very, we're having very complex feelings because we're in love with our child and we're totally. figuring out the just total blissful chaos of <laughs> having a child and totally your relationship is readjusting and everything. And then your family's around, but they didn't really support you, but now they're a part of the baby's life. So it's all very, it's like very, <laughs> very complicated. And so very complicated. it makes total sense that you just like, no well, room. You yeah, you back. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of years pass, we ended up being in a, just a a rough situation, weird transition, living with my mom. And I, last year at the beginning of the year, I started feeling a feminine presence with me. And I was like, okay, not now. We're in a crappy situation. Not now. I'm so sorry. So I wrote her a letter. I wrote her a really nice letter. I said, I love you so much. We are going to welcome you into our family. Now is not a good time. So I And what did you do with the letter? Where'd you put it? Oh, I just have it. I don't know. I just have it <laughs> somewhere. I don't know where it is actually. Um, but I wrote it to her and I know that she received it. Mm-hmm. I just know that. So we just went through just a crappy, crappy time last year. And things started looking up a little bit more in the fall. And that's when I got pregnant with her. And we were not planning at all. Like it was like kind of conscious conception because I knew she wanted to come. And I knew that we were like preparing for that, but she came much sooner. Despite my my very loose efforts in using the fertility awareness method. <laughs> Oops. Oh no, don't know how that happened. <laughs> So um, I was still nursing my son. So I totally thought, you know, anyway, so we got pregnant. First trimester was very rough as we were still transitioning out of our rough transition. Yeah. And And you have a two-year-old. And I have a two-year-old now. And, you know, anyway, just with family, just all the, all the drama and all the fun stuff, all the confusion about where the heck we're going to live. Wow. So I, I was having miscarriage dreams, not thinking that I deserved her, that she was supposed to come yet, which was very hard. In my second trimester, I had... So I stopped having miscarriage dreams in my second trimester, but I had this one dream that just finally helped me to process my birth from before. And it was a dream where I was in a hospital for some reason, for my pregnancy, which I was having a wild pregnancy, so I hadn't been anywhere yet. And so I was in a hospital and someone was asking me about my last birth and I was trying to describe to her the abuse and she was laughing. And then she brought other nurses in 
And they were all laughing and I was yelling at them, telling them about my experience. And I was just yelling and crying and sobbing and just like telling them to stop laughing. And so I woke up just sobbing and freaking out. And I finally realized that it was my story. And my second trimester was so transformative. We were able to figure out where we were going to live. My husband got a great new job. We, um, uh, anyway, I did, I did lots of energy healing, which was amazing. I found my doula who is now a radical birth keeper. I'm hoping that she'll do your, your school. I've been hinting at it to her, <laughs> but she's, she's amazing. She had never attended a birth before. So that I was her first birth that she attended. And how did you guys get connected? It was at, so my husband and I, we were, before the pandemic, we were um, giving out plants for free to clean people's air. And then people were donating back. Um, it was just, oh, it was so lovely and wonderful. We're so sad that we're not doing events anymore for obvious reasons. <sighs> anyway, so we met her at one of our events and she's and amazing. Clicked. Yes, we totally just clicked. Um, cause I, she said she was training via doula. I said, would you attend a free birth? And she was like, oh yeah, I think I would. And so we just kept <laughs> nice. talking. Okay. So let's, let's pause there for a second. So you already sure. knew that you were free birthing at that point. So, so take me back to oh. wherever, like, when does that yeah. really get here for you? Oh goodness. Well, I knew, I knew right after I had my son that I was going to try for a free birth. So okay. I was like, well, you know, screw this midwife thing. This doesn't mm -hmm. make any sense for me. I was open. So, you know, we were living with my mom and she really wanted me to find a midwife. And, you know, everybody else was counting on me to find a midwife. I hadn't really shared with anybody other than my mom that I was thinking about free birthing, that I was wanting to. So I did look into some midwives and was not impressed, basically. <laughs> to put it very shortly, I will say one midwife, she wanted me to see an OBGYN who, Fuck off. She, who she said is just like a midwife Ew. and he's a man. Ew. It's like, it says yeah, that's so much, what I wanted to say. <laughs> like she, he's just like a midwife and she was laughing and I was like, yeah, oh, just like the disgusting. kind of midwife she obviously is. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then she informed me that if I did get a midwife, because she didn't want to be my midwife, she said, well, if you do get a midwife, just know that if you refuse hospital transfer, they will leave and call the ambulance. And I was wow. like, well, I'm and not ending on a threat. That's, that's nice. Oh yeah. She of course said it with a smile. So I was like, well, I'm not doing that. Mm -mm. Since I am in Arizona, I talked with Marin Green a little bit. We we didn't click as like we, you know, agree on so much, but we just didn't click. And I ended up moving really far away from Sedona. So that wasn't an option anyway. So I just, I just kept having a wild pregnancy and didn't yeah. really tell anybody. I just did my own thing. I told people I was having, I had a midwife, not worry about it. Oh, okay. Cause I'm not dealing, I'm not dealing with their, their complaints. So, mm -hmm. um, I just told them that and I knew I would tell them that eventually that I had a free birth because that's just what I knew. I knew I was just going to do it. So in my third trimester, I just got to this great place where I was like, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I had had a feeling when I got pregnant with my daughter that everything was going to work out the way I wanted it to. 
And I, I knew it. I didn't always know how, but I knew that we would find a home. I knew that we would have a successful birth and that everything would be taken care of. So in the middle of my third or towards the end, actually, of my third trimester, around 36 weeks, I found a, a midwife that supports women who want to free birth. What does that mean? So I called her and I just, so I heard that she would help with like paperwork gotcha. and stuff like that. So I called her and I was like, I'm going to free birth. I would love help with paperwork and maybe, you know, some resources if I need it. And so she's like, oh, heck yeah. She's like, I'm so, so going to help you. So we went and visited her. She's amazing. Yeah, she's, she's just amazing. She actually said, I'm going to give you some Zytotech. Is that what it's called? Zytotech. Anyway, Zytotech. Yeah, the she's like, I'm just going to give this to you. And at first I was hesitant to take it. And then I, something inside me said, just take it. Wow. So I took, and I'm really glad that I decided to. So I was like, I'm going to take it. And there, I mean, there's just the reason I'm really glad and I'll, you know, we'll get into my story in a second, but I'm just, I'm really glad that I did because it was very clearly my intuition speaking and not my fear. So I took the Zytotech, had lovely conversations with her about birth, about everything that I wanted. I just fell in love with her. So I had her palpate my baby, not because I needed her to, but because I was just like, I like you, want to meet my baby. Um, So she palpated in my belly and she said, oh, your baby is so cute. Your uterus is so strong. You're going to do amazing. I love her. Hmm. Um, (laughs) So the time, so that was the only really intervention that I had during my pregnancy. Well, a a woman that you like palpating your belly is not an intervention. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. It's like, what is, what even is that? So, oh, it was just, it was lovely. I was like, this is how, you know, midwifery is supposed to feel. It's supposed to be connection. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be just an outpouring of love and trust. She said, mm-hmm. I trust whatever you want to do. And I was like, you know, I, and she said, at the end, she said, do you want me to attend your birth as a friend? And at first I was like thinking like, oh, I just love you. Yeah, come, geez, come and just attend as a friend. But inside me, I was like, you know what? I don't need her. And she knows I don't need her and she's happy I don't need her. So I just told her, I was like, I love you, but I don't need you. And she said, great. Yeah, so I had a blast having um, nesting feelings. I just, I could have built a home, honestly, with the energy that I had. It was freaking <laughs> awesome. I loved it. Um, I, I started <laughs> I started to get a little impatient at the end um, because I had had my son at 37 weeks. And I was like, oh, I, for some reason, I thought I'd gestate my baby earlier, you know, whatever. So I had some prodrome, prodromal labor, can never pronounce it. Had some of that here and there, did some work around it. Um, because, you know, I would get really disappointed when my labor would stop. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually, the day after my birthday, the labor kept going. <laughs> um, so it was in the middle of the night, or it was actually like 10 p.m. I started saying like, oh, these are, I think these are actual contractions that are going to keep going. So my husband and I were like, well, it's now or never. So we made love and he went to sleep and I stayed. We have a really big bathroom and closet area that I had candles around. So I just went in there and got some things ready. And then I was like, oh crap, this is happening. 
because then it got really intense. Um, so I called my doula. I called my mom. They were the only two that attended. <sighs> and I, I had a freaking blast giving birth. Let me, oh my <laughs> gosh. Like I loved it so much. I could just cry. Like it was, it was amazing. It ended up being four and a half hours long. And the intensity was beautiful and so difficult. And I was, and it's, go ahead, go ahead. Just, it's, it's like full on redemption and healing while you're doing it. You know, when, when a, I mean, I know you know this, I'm not saying this to you, but to everyone listening, when a woman has her birth stolen, you know, you didn't even get anything with the first, you didn't get to feel the contraction. So the, the, the level of, and this, I mean, I have found this to be pretty darn consistently true with a few exceptions, Mm -hmm. but with women who are, who are experiencing birth after it's been stolen from them, there's just this level of appreciation and like a yesness that is so um, victorious. And so like you already saw what the other side has Mm -hmm. to offer. And so it doesn't have any appeal anymore. It's like, it's cost you what it's cost you. And so now you're just in the experience and it's like a really whole, like there's a wholeness to it. That's really quite beautiful. So I'm hearing that. Good. Yeah. I, I can't like, I have tried to just, I describe it to people and I forgot that like, it was literally five weeks ago, but and so I'm like, oh, I'm getting so annoying because I keep describing it to people and wanting to tell people. It's like, no, it's like the most amazing thing ever. So I was having contractions, taking little naps in between. Honestly, I was ex- one thing I was expecting was having like some transformative like dreams or like visions. Or I remember one dream I had in between contractions was about a frog. So I just, it was just this like casual, like <laughs> just funny. weird, normal taking little naps, having my contractions. Like it just felt so normal. I kept saying when I was getting impatient before I went into labor, like the past, like the last few weeks of my pregnancy, I'm like, I was just like, I'm so bored. I would love to have a transformative experience right now and just give birth to a baby because I'm so bored. And like, I still feel that way. Like I'd love to do it again because it was just transformative, but also so normal. And so like, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I was laboring in the closet for quite a bit. My mom came in and she gave me like the coldest kiss on the cheek like of my life. And I was like, all right, get off. And she started asking me all these questions. And I was like, I just want you to look at me. Mm-mm. Don't talk to me. Just look at me. I just wanted her to see me have one contraction. And then I had her leave. And then I did mm-hmm. the same with my doula. <laughs> I wanted her to just see me have one contraction. And then I wanted her to get out of my space. I ended up in the shower. I might have had back labor. That's like a possibility. I think I might have. I think that's what happened because I couldn't move. I tried to have my husband do like the cute little counter pressure, husband supporting. And then the moment he did that, I was like, oh my gosh, I hate that so much. Get off of me. (laughs) Hated it. I was all ready for that. So all he did the entire birth was give me a little bit of water and hold my hand. And I'm, I'm talking like I was yelling at everybody, but according to him, I was like the most polite I've ever been in my entire life. I was just really gentle and just like whispering to people and saying, oh, please get off of me. Yeah, please go over there. Thank you. 
but I still commanded the room and I still mm-hmm. had command. Well, so, when you have people there that actually respect you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can, can be polite and <laughs> you can boss people around. <laughs> totally. So, um, yeah. So, so for contractions, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be loud when I labored or quiet. Um, turns out I'm loud because I literally couldn't breathe through them unless I was yelling. Totally. So I lost my voice very quickly. I said a lot of things to myself when I was yelling because like, you know, might as well give yourself a motivational speech if you're going to be yelling. Oh, yeah. So I was saying things like open and yes, I can and I can do this and I'm doing this and this is freaking awesome and this is rad and give me more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I ended up in the shower. And I started having pushing contractions and I didn't realize it. My husband, he left my side at one point and I was like, don't know what to do with that. Since he just left, I think I'll just go on the floor. So I was, I was on a birthing ball and it was just funny, my logic in my brain. I'm like, time to go lay down on my side on the floor. Um, <laughs> and I honestly, I think that got baby into a position, like just like the optimal position. Like I don't, it was just so instinctual and mm-hmm. so funny and random because I've never thought, oh, I want to lay down when I'm giving, you know, when totally. I'm... Totally. No. It just happens. Yeah. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Yeah. So I just laid on my side. I realized I was having more pushing contractions. Like I didn't realize it before, but then I realized finally that my body was pushing my baby out, which mm. just blew my mind and I didn't understand yeah. that. And I told my doula, I was like, maybe she just needs a little nudge. And then I realized that, no, this is really happening. Wow. So, Especially after four hours. No, And of course, to me, it had felt like an hour and a half, maybe. Like it wow. just did not feel that long at all. So I thought... You were so down for it though. Yeah. Like, I was everything you're saying. Going. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't often see women have really long bursts and chant, give me more. Because <laughs> <laughs> honestly, that's it a great so, mentality. And, it, and like, I can't stress it enough. Like it was so hard. Like it, it was, was so hours. hard. It was obviously hard. Yeah. That's yeah, like but flying it was just, through your system. But it was so powerful mm-hmm. and so cool and so easy mm-hmm. psychologically because I just knew I could do it. Yeah. Like once, I feel like once women know that they can do it, like they really, that's really instilled in them. The rest of it, the rest of it yeah. honestly doesn't matter. Like it matters, of course, but you know what I mean? Like the pain mm-hmm. or whatever, the intensity, it doesn't matter, especially oh, this is a point I really want to make, but I know we're going to run out of time soon. But gosh, like if I had been in labor in a hospital with all the bright lights, people talking to me, people putting their fingers up my yoni, I think I might have considered an epidural. Because all of that stimulation, are you kidding me? I could barely have three candles on. Like I asked my husband to blow the candles out because it was too much. I remember I had like, I had like a loose necklace on when I was pushing and I was like, I'm going to die. Like, get this thing off of me. Like, of course women want yeah. the, uh, it's so sad though that they're Not just what, need, require. Need. Yeah. You need to get rid of that. It's so sad because it's the most important sensation that you can be feeling. Yet yeah. that's what you have to get rid of in order to exist in that environment. Mm. So, so I, fucked. I, 
I finally was like, I understand why women need epidurals in hospitals. I don't understand why they need them at home because they don't. Because it's just, they don't. You just don't. I've never heard a woman at home say she wanted an epidural. I've heard women at home say, oh, I see why women talk about them. Like, duh. But I've never had a woman be like, I need an epidural at home. It's, It's not until... Yeah, of course. It's not until you have to check out. You have to disassociate. You're not allowed to be the wild, instinctual oh lioness. It, yeah, it finally all just like made sense to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I got up on, they helped me up on a birth ball. Um, again, I was still in the shower with the water running. Our shower's huge, which is nice. So like everybody fit in there. <laughs> um, <That's laughs> I had my whole, whole birth team in there. Um, along with Wait, like son. for real? Like yeah. literally? Like everybody oh like everybody fit in there. Yeah, it was like my no. husband, my son, my mom, my doula. So oh five, my God, six people were so in there. Funny. I okay. know. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I felt inside myself because I was like, why the heck am I pushing? I asked my doula, I was like, am I supposed to be pushing? She's like, well, I mean, your body is pushing, isn't it? I was like, well, I guess it is. So felt inside myself. I felt this little balloon. And I was like, my cervix is fluffy. (laughs) That's just what came out of my mouth, which was so funny. So I said, my cervix is fluffy. And then I told my husband to feel, and he said, yeah, it's fluffy. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just kept feeling. And I was like, I felt just a little bit further. And I was like, holy crap, that's the amniotic sac. And then I felt a little further and I was like, oh, that's the baby's head. So so yeah, I started just, I accepted it. I was like, she's coming. Everybody get ready. She's coming. And we, at one point, so my, I totally had lost my voice. And so as I was like screaming, like, oh, I said, I am Tarzan. I'm doing this. <laughs> and anyway, that's just a side note. I just love that. It's so weird. So um, weird. Yeah. But everything that was coming to my mind. So, oh my um, God, the stuff that women say at the end are the <laughs> sweetest, most like vulnerable, amazing, awkward, hilarious yeah. thing. I love it. I'm tired. Oh I'm tired, man. I'm doing this. Hell yeah, dude. That's awesome. I was like tempted. I think I was like tempted to say I can't do this because it was so mm. difficult. So I said, I am doing this. So it just sounded sure. anyway so funny. Yeah. So fetal ejection reflex, man. So I just, I pushed that baby out without thinking about it. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and she just came out into my arms, yelped <laughs> and she was perfectly fine. And I always thought that I'd be, you know, all emotional like I was with my son, but I was just this primal mom, just assessing her newborn, just doing whatever the heck I needed to do. And it just, it just worked. I just did I just did it. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So ah, I just sat down in the shower and assessed her and sucked stuff out of her mouth and looked at her and time flew. I, um, every once in a while I was trying to squat to birth the placenta. Yeah. How'd that go? Um, and nothing, nothing was happening. And about 30 minutes after the baby was born, um, Exora, Eve is her, Exora Eve is her name. Mm-hmm. And so about 30 minutes after I started to feel lightheaded. And so I was like, okay, do I take the Zytotec? 
and my intuition said, take it. So Mm. I took it. And after I, so I put it under my tongue to suck on. And right when that happened, I dipped into really like, like I was super out of it to the point that I was like laughing hysterically. And I don't remember this, but I was laughing hysterically and I was saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Because of course I felt fine. (laughs) So my husband was very worried. And my doula, she's awesome. She just made eye contact with me and she said, look into my eyes. So I looked into her eyes and right away, I started sucking vigorously on it. I turned to my husband and I said, sorry, I scared you. I love you. I'm going to be just fine. They got on the phone with um, the midwife and she just said, oh, the placenta needs to come out, see what she's thinking about the placenta. So I squatted. I literally pulled the placenta out of my body. And that was that. And I did, I did actually lose a lot of blood. And I'm, I, was, I was honestly comfortable with the idea of losing a lot of blood as long as I felt good. Since I am anemic, that was something that was you know on our minds. But I was like, if I lose a lot of blood and I feel fine, then who cares? You know, then I'm fine. So, you know, I don't know how necessary taking that was. But what I do know is that I was able to give birth to my placenta and I'm I'm okay now. And my husband and I talked about it and we're like, we might have that on hand next time if we feel inclined to. And if we don't, that's okay too. So that's maybe the one, I guess someone could say scary part of my birth, but to me, it wasn't scary because we just, we did what we had to do. And yeah. Also getting lightheaded isn't, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Problem either. Like a lot of women faint, a lot of women get lightheaded, a lot of women shake, a lot of women Mm -hmm. lose blood. And none of that equals a hemorrhage. None of that equals a problem. None of that equals a complication. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that part of this, too, way beyond your story, everybody's story, you know, that that because we're all so new to relearning. Yes. Birth and how Mm -hmm. to do it and, and how to hold space for it and how to both be the birthing woman and, you know, the women with the birthing women and our partners. And just like, we are recreating, you know, in this reclamation and after generations of, of, you know, total robbery of this, I think there, there isn't like a wrong here, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but, but it's, and at the same time, we have to like relearn and, and figure out and stumble through um, what are all of these parts? Like, yeah. is it okay to be lightheaded? Is it okay to faint? Is it okay to lose blood? What is that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and is it okay? And is it okay? We you know when's the time to use, you know, to use drugs and, and when isn't it? And, and just all of this stuff. And, and, you know, there isn't like a way, right? It's, it's about, totally. you know, like I have, I'll have clients who are like, I want to have a wild pregnancy and I want a free birth. And here's my log of all my weights every day and my blood pressure and my height. And it's like, okay, great. (laughs) Like if that's, (laughs) if that's how you're stepping out of the system at that pace. Yeah. Or women who are like, I, you know, similar, I have Cytotech on, on board or I have, I showed up at this one birth a couple of years ago and she w- she had an oxygen tank. Oh wow! And I was 
Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't know what to fucking do with that. Like, I don't fuck around with that shit. And she was like, oh, well, I just thought it would be like great to have. I was like, do you know how to use it? She's like, no. I was like, well, I don't fucking know how to use it. Like, I, I don't mess around with that. And she was like, oh, well, a midwife just gave it to me. And I just thought it would like, it would be like good to have. I was like, okay, except that like none of us know how to use it. Yeah. And I would never would never do that. Anyway, so point being, you know, with the Cytotech, I think that it's really interesting. And I think it opens up a really interesting conversation Mm -hmm. and exploration of like, because where my brain goes as the challenger and yeah, yeah, the challenger is like, okay, cool. But if the midwife had never even brought it up, it wouldn't have been on your radar. And so then what would have happened? Yeah. And again, there's no right or wrong here. It's just, it's kind of just the curio. Like it puts me into a state of wonder of like, okay, so you got lightheaded. Yeah. And I heard a midwife I really like a long time ago call it the reset, where women sometimes kind of like dip, uh-huh. like out, and then they kind of come back and it's weird. Yeah. It's weird for everybody, but from a spiritual perspective, it makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a reset. It's like leaving the old life and coming back. And my husband and I, we saw it, we saw it as, I mean, he, for him, it was very hard to watch, you know, but you know, as we, yeah. yeah, as we were talking about it, we're like, okay, this is information and this is a call to figure out what we are going to do next time because it could involve medication. It could not involve medication. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, and I just said like, yeah, like it's like, anyway, it just makes sense. Everything you said makes sense. Yeah. And it's, it sounds (laughs) like you took it prophylactically, you know, preventatively as a better, better, um, safe than sorry kind of, like I have this thing, things are a little like, so I'm just going to take it because I've been told that this stops hemorrhage. Indeed. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what Cytotech is, you know, it's the abortion pill. It's, it's, it, mm-hmm. it kills. I mean, it, it releases, I should say it, it is intended to cause very strong contractions and release pregnancy in mm-hmm. the beginning, you know, of a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't kill the fetus. That was, that was not correct. It's the part of the the medication that releases causes the contractions. And so Mm -hmm. it's just so fascinating that now we're like, oh, let's just give it to women when they're to induce their labors. Let's give it to them. To um, induce? Yeah. That's Cytotech is the, is the induction drug. Yeah. So it goes Cytotech um, or Cervidil, which is the gel. So yeah, like women, pregnant women with term live babies go into the hospital and they have, they're given Cytotech orally to cause, you know, induction, it kills moms right. and babies. It is, it is shocking how many moms and babies Cytotech kills and nobody talks about no. it. Yeah. It's shocking. I've seen women have seizures from it. I've seen, I've seen moms and babies almost die from it. I've never seen a woman die from it. Thank God. Mm-hmm. But it's never talked about same with Cervidil. And then, and then it's used, it's brought medical midwives, bring it in homes. Typically it's given rectally uh, after Pitocin's been, hmm. after Pitocin has been like attempted. So they do, I am, they do like, you know, inter, intermuscular shots of Pitocin for a third stage management. And then if that like doesn't work to the amount that they would want it to, then they would give mm-hmm. rectal cytotech. Wow. Anyway, so it's like really anyway. hardcore. It's a hardcore drug. Right. And it's a very, very interesting history too. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I do think it should be available 
to a degree, right. you know, for all sorts. I mean, I think women should do whatever the fuck they want. So if a woman wants to say, yeah, it feels <laughs> right. That's, that's where I stand anyway. So yeah, that is just like a super interesting part of, of the story. And it sounds like it was scary. I mean, if you were like kind of, you know, dipping out and like kind of talking weird and that's yeah. really scary. Yeah, it was. I mean, for me, it wasn't, I mean, and this probably says a lot is that for me, it wasn't that scary. Mm. It felt it felt almost normal. What did scare me was when I finally came to that my baby wasn't in my arms. My husband, you know, had taken my baby because I was starting to drop her. Okay. Um, so, oh, so you were standing up? No, I was, I was sitting down and she was, I was sitting down on the shower in the shower still. And yeah, she was just on my, I, I think I was like crisscross applesauce and she was just like resting mm-hmm. below and she started to like fall forward. Oh my God. And so anyway, so, so that, that alarmed me. I was just sure. like, where's my baby? And I was just so alert and mm-hmm. it might've just been honestly me making eye contact with her mm. that helped me to come to, it might not have even been the side of tech, totally. you know? So yeah. So I just, but I just love, I, I think the positive thing for me is that maybe we wouldn't have known what to do. And maybe my husband would have gotten scared and called the ambulance. Maybe my mom would have gotten scared and called the ambulance. So I, I think for this birth, yeah, for this, for this birth, it was a little bit on the intuitive side. And I think for my next birth, things are going to be different because we're going to know more when we know more, know better, we do better. Totally. But, um, yeah, I, it was just so fascinating. I love mm-hmm. how when I did come to, I just sat up, I freaking pulled my placenta out of me and was done with it. Like mm-hmm. it was just done. Tarzan um, style. We, yeah, like, Tarzana. Like it was so primal. Like I just like I just had never I never thought someone would like give birth to their placenta like that. Like I literally just yanked it out. Anyway. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm so I'm so freaking proud of myself. Oh my I God. did an amazing job. Like V-backs are not powerful just because it's hard to have a V-back. Right. It's because you're choosing to not be oppressed anymore. You're yeah. choosing to not let people oppress you and make you get a surgery that's unnecessary. So, cuz the V-back itself like it wasn't hard to not have my uterus, you know, blow up whatever it's called like that oh the rupture hard. stuff yeah rupture like mm-hmm. I didn't have to think about that that's not even an issue it was just the fact that I didn't let people oppress me in my birth hmm. I did whatever the heck I wanted to and it was awesome yeah that's what's up so there you go what a story <laughs> to give your family huh thank you I'm gonna keep giving these stories because I feel like I have a lot more kids coming and I'm just ready to give birth to all of them. I'm so stoked. So ready to have another kid right now. Oh my God. Only have this one for five weeks. Yeah. You better write a letter. (laughs) I know. I know. That's amazing. Uh, Oh, I'm so proud of you. It's just such a big deal. It's such a big deal. I mean, this is how we participate in creating the world we want to see. You know, it's such a triumphant and like you said, so normal. I love yes. how you, the theme, like one of the themes throughout your whole story is, I knew it was normal. I knew it was normal. I knew it was normal. <laughs> I know, from yeah. your uterus to your septate uterus, uterus to breach to, to all of it. Just all the things. Yeah. It was just all good. And you got to actually like actualize that and see 
and kind of bring it into full completion, right? Which is such a deeply healing lesson, I think, for us as women, just working out all the bullshit that's at our back of of our ancestors mm-hmm. and 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 patriarchy, and to really actualize what you know to be true, and then be walking evidence of that truth is so profoundly important, obviously. And yeah, I'm really proud of you too. Thank you. (laughs) That's so lovely to hear. So many people are uncomfortable with power stories, which is so sad. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching. Learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention, death, ascension, I will fly and bring her back from the start.